like to draw your attention this morning to a couple familiar passages. One of them is found in Joel, Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2, and then we're going to go to Acts chapter number 2. Thank you, Jesus. Man, I just feel such the music and the worship and the singing just ushered in just such a glorious spirit of God here today. It just feels so, so, so good. Joel chapter number two and verse number 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Everybody said all flesh. This prophecy continues. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out of my spirit. Now an even more familiar passage of scriptures in Acts chapter number 2. And let's read verses 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. It sat upon each of them, and they were all, everybody said all, filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. All of them were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now we're going to skip down to verse number 16. This is the Apostle Peter. After this incredible demonstration of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, he's standing up and addressing thousands that are there for the Feast of Pentecost. Verse 16, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So what we just read, we saw the original prophecy and then we saw the fulfillment of that prophecy. Everybody with me? Okay. I want to talk to us for a few moments here this morning about a peaceful transition of power. A peaceful transition of power. And let's put our Bibles down and let's lift up our voices one more time. Let's pray for the remainder of this service. Father, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. There's nobody like you. We have come to magnify and to recognize your name, to give you glory and praise. Father, I pray that every heart, every mind, every soul can benefit from this today, understanding belief, faith, and I pray, oh God, that you fill every soul the power of your spirit. And everybody said, amen. 
bless you. You may be seated. The phrase, a peaceful transition of power, is one that we are familiar with, especially after our previous presidential election. But the phrase and the process was actually coined way back in the year 1800. John Quincy Adams, second president of the United States, was defeated by Thomas Jefferson and he was writing that he was tempted because of all the shenanigans. Yes, even back then, there were political shenanigans that took place. If you think it's something that just happened with Donald Trump, you've got another thing coming. John Quincy Adams understood that there was old-fashioned politicking and a bunch of other things. But he came to the understanding of recognizing that one of the things that must uphold a free democracy is a peaceful transition of power. And so John Quincy Adams capitulated willingly. He submitted himself to principle and Thomas Jefferson became the third president of the United States of America. This phrase that I've used as a title here today underscores this incredible fulfillment of prophecy. And outside of all of the prophecies that speak of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, there is no greater, nor, no more relevant prophecy to us than the prophecy that is given in the book of Joel. We do not need to go back and review that prophecy because it is uttered absolutely verbatim in Acts chapter number 2. And I'm going to go ahead and rehearse this once again just so that you can see this again. And of course, the apostle Peter standing says, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days. Now this was over 2000 years ago. So that means we're really in the last days. If that was considered to be in the last days by God over 2000 years ago, we are really in the last days. And I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. This prophecy was a radical shift from the understanding and the perspective that Jews had of governmental and religious understanding of hierarchy. This is, I have come to understand this prophecy afresh about how really incredible it is. And I hope to share with the help of the Holy Ghost here this morning, I hope to reveal that to you. But this was without a shadow of doubt, the most incredible prophecy um, to be given. The book of Joel is a book of mystery, but definitely a minor prophet. One of the general ways that you can make a distinction between the major prophets and the minor prophets is the major prophets were before the exile. When I mean the exile, I'm talking about Babylonian captivity. And the minor prophets were on the other side, post-exile. And they, their ministry endured all the way until the book of Malachi. 
And at the end of Malachi, there were 430 silent years. That's the inner testamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the book of Exodus, chapter 19, and verse number 6, Brother Tristan's going to help me out. This is a prophecy. This is part of the program and the plan that God had for the nation of Israel. You may remember, the nation of Israel is just recently out of Babylon, or pardon me, Egyptian captivity. They were there by prophecy. If you go back to Genesis chapter number 15, you will see that God spoke to Abram and he told him that they will go into um, a form of captivity, that they will come out in the fourth generation with great substance. Um, and that absolutely indeed happened, and it happened in the book of Exodus. Where here in Exodus 19, the nation of Israel is out of Egyptian captivity. They are out of bondage. They are out of 430 years of indentation of, of an influence of polytheism and idolatry and the diet and the societal mores and laws and bylaws of Egypt. And so now God is saying this, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and, and holy nations. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. This is God instructing Moses what to say unto the nation of Israel. If we had time, in verse number five, we would say that God said that you are a peculiar treasure unto me. Oh, thank you. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Somebody said, praise the Lord. This was a lofty vision that God had for his people. This is a very lofty, very high ideal, high expectation that God had for these people that had come through several generations of slavery and bondage, but are now free. And God's supernatural intention for his people was that they would become a kingdom of priests. That is, an incredible, that is an incredible thing to say. And it never happened. In fact, this is the scripture that is used. If you have 1 Peter chapter 2, let's put that up there. This is the, this is the scripture that Peter used when speaking to the church in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It is in the general epistle among the regenerated people that were in the church of the living God. You had to have repented of your sins, been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and, and experienced the infilling of the Holy Ghost to understand and grasp this scripture. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. That is almost given verbatim, just like Joel's prophecy, prophecy was given, and then it was repeated verbatim in Acts chapter 2. The apostle Peter is doing the exact same thing here, where he is quoting almost directly from Exodus chapter number 19. And so God's original plan for his people was to be a supernatural people that has to become deeply ingra ingrained and imbued of our comprehension and our understanding of really who we are and what we are doing here, not just here in this building today, although that's part of it, but what we're here to do in the earth that we are a supernatural people and we are to be a kingdom of priests. Of course, the nation of Israel, going referring back to the book of Exodus and where they were at that time, they failed miserably. They failed miserably uh, just on the trek from Egypt to the promised land. First Corinthians chapter number 10, God says, for many of them, he was not well pleased 
for they, they fell in the wilderness. There were many that failed. They were overcome in the wilderness. They couldn't handle the journey. And then once they got into the promised land, the book of Judges gives us um, an incredible illustration of this incredible adjustment period from people that's no longer the generation of slaves. It's their children. But now they, could not, they couldn't understand the responsibilities of a theocracy. They wanted to have a human fleshly ruler. And then even after they got a fleshly ruler, there were issues, there were problems, there were situations, and it just led to a governmental structure where there was a hierarchy that began with the king. Interestingly, throughout the twists and turns of the Old Testament, because the nation of Israel would not cooperate with God's will for his people, that he allowed them to go back into captivity in Babylon. This is not just a side note. This fundamentally reshapes the entirety of the remainder of the Old Testament. God dealt with his people differently. They had different, uh, different job description after the exile. They had a different functionality after the exile. And most specifically between the Testaments, even after Malachi, you had the emergence of several religious groups, most notably the Pharisees that did not exist before the intertestamental period, but they became a great religious influence um, in Jewish life. I think personally, theologically, that the Pharisees represented um, a people that were in despair. They were people that had become uh, despairing for a savior. They needed a redeemer, but it wasn't time for the redeemer. And so they were restless and they had different revolts. They had different uprisings. They had different situations, but between the Testaments, there emerged a group called the Pharisees, and they became a ruling group. There was the Pharisees, there was the Sadducees, there was the Essenes, uh, there were Zealots, there were different ruling religious classes above and beyond the high priest and the priests and all of that. And this kind of molded and shaped Jewish life. They just kind of settled in to this type of a structure and this type of power among Judaism. But overarching above all of that is what the Bible calls, even Jesus Christ referred to this, as the times of the Gentiles. The times of the Gentiles was God's penalty to the nation of Israel for not living up to a theocracy. A theocracy is, by definition, is the ruler is God. We don't need a human ruler. We don't need, we don't need legislation. We have the Ten Commandments. We have the Mosaic. We have, we have scores of covenants that we can look back at. Uh, the covenant of Abraham, which is circumcision, is still in place. The Mosaic covenant is still in place. We, we shouldn't need to have a human ruler to fit in with all the other nations. I want to tell you something. God does not want us to fit in. The number one, yes. The number one doctrine in the entirety of the Bible, all the way from Genesis to Revelation, is separation. Separation exists on the first day of creation, and it follows all the way through to the book of Revelation. And God wants his people to be separated. Why? We are a kingdom of priests. We are a holy nation. I'm not interested in, in fitting in on social media. I know who I am in God. I'm not interested in fitting in in Hollywood. I know who I am in the word of God. Come on, somebody. I'm not really worried about what people think in this world. I've got a revelation of who I am that's given to me by the word of God. That is the most powerful thing that you and I possess. You are unlike anybody else. You are not normal. You're not supposed to fit in. You're not like anybody else. You are a holy nation. A peculiar people. Clap your hands and give God the praise. And until that becomes a revelation, nothing else will make sense. 
Nothing else will make sense. But the times of the Gentiles was the overarching penalty for God's people not being able to walk in a theocracy. And in God's theocracy, it wasn't that there wasn't human agency, but it was devoid of a worldly governmental king or a monarch or something of that nature. There was a priest that represented the people to God, and there was a prophet that represented God to the people. And those would be the two perimeters, the two human agencies that would keep the nation on course to neither turn to the left nor the right. A prophet that would represent God to the people and a priest that would represent the people before God. But because the nation of Israel could not get free from having other gods and would not make the living God the only God. You remember the book of Daniel where Daniel was able to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream and the interpretation of that dream was that there was a huge figure with various parts of his body made up of consecutively weaker metals. The head being gold, then silver, then brass, then iron, and then the ten toes are mixed with miry clay. Now you might be sitting here today and thinking, I don't have an understanding really what this is all talking about. But it is critical to understand these things so that you can have a greater appreciation of not only who God is, but what you're a part of. If you think that we're just in another denomination among a nation full of denominations, you've missed the boat. There's only one church. There ain't a bunch of different denominations. There's only one church. There's only one gospel. There's only one baptism. There's only one God, and the devil knows that and trembles. Somebody lift your voice and give God great praise. We are oneness. Somebody shout right now. There's not three. There's only one. And I believe in the end time that's going to become another issue. But ladies and gentlemen, don't blame the pastor. The Apostle Peter said it first. Don't blame the man of God. The Apostle Paul said it first. Don't blame the man of God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is. Go ahead and praise him. When God shows up, the praises ought to go up. Come on, somebody. Let's take a moment and give him glory. And so the times of Gentiles is referring to an incredible period of time that was started in the book of Daniel and will end at the end, the second return of the Lord Jesus Christ when he completely shatters the ten-tone kingdom, which is the revised Roman Empire. And so the head of that figure represented Babylon and then the Medes and the Persians. This is all world history. And then under Alexander the Great, the Grecians had the largest empire in the world. And then fast-forwarding to the time of Jesus, they were firmly under the heel of Roman rule. And the nation of Israel had just kind of learned to deal with it. They got more spears than we've got. They've got more swords than we've got. They've got chariots. They've got more soldiers than we've got. They just kind of learned to deal with it. And I want to tell you, being free, and, and when I mean being free, I'm really talking about being free. I'm not say, I didn't say perfect. I said free. And nothing's going to be perfect on this side of glory, but I'm talking about free. Being free has responsibilities. I, I saw a, a guy's bumper sticker one time and says, 
if, if, if you're free and you're enjoying freedom, you need to thank a soldier. Somebody shed their blood so that the United States could enjoy freedom. And I'm not going to sit back and let some last day generation that doesn't understand what a rifle is and doesn't understand what liberty stands for trade this thing away to a bunch of transsexualism and a type of liberal. Come on, somebody! Freedom requires war. Everybody in the building, clap your hands and give God the praise. He that is free. He that the Son has made free, you're free indeed. Are you free today? Somebody shout. Woo! Hallelujah. But the nation of Israel was not free. The screaming eagles of Rome were a constant reminder that we are not our own. Rome had been deeply influenced by Grecian influence. They were the dominating world influence at one time. And it had already made its way among God's people. Influenced by Greece, influenced by Rome. Religious systems. Religious hierarchy. And then the hierarchy of Rome. But what's incredibly interesting to me is the timing of the fulfillment of this scripture. Because just a casual historic review of where the nation of Israel is, this almost appears to be contrary or contradictory to the reality of where they were as a people. They had already rejected their Savior. You can go ahead and reject them. That's not going to stop God doing what God's going to do. I'm going to say that again. You can go ahead and reject his plan, reject his will, reject who he is, but you're not going to stop God from doing what God said he was going to do. You can say, I don't even believe in God, but that doesn't mean that God goes away. You can say, I don't believe God's in this room today, but that doesn't mean that God goes away. And so on the day of Pentecost, the feast of Pentecost was fully come. They were all gathered together. All of Judaism made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for this special day. And in fulfillment of the book of Joel, in fulfillment of what Jesus did on the cross, in fulfillment of what Jesus did when he rose from the dead, in fulfillment of what Jesus did when he ascended and went into the highest courtroom of all and presented himself as a living sacrifice for the sins of humanity. Because spirit always follows blood. When Jesus was accepted before the throne, God said, that's it. Pour out my spirit. The Jews had already rejected him. Let his blood be upon us and upon our children. And the Holy Ghost was poured out. The reason why this is such an incredible thing is because right under the nose of the Romans and right under the nose of the high priest and right under the nose of all the priests and right under the nose of the Pharisees and right under the nose of the Sadducees and right under the nose of everybody else, God said, we're about to have a transition of power. Here you and I sit in the United States of America with utter chaos politically, right under the nose of the White House, right under the nose of what appears to be our financial world is being in doing somersaults right now, right under the nose of the devil thinking he's having a revival. God's saying, we're about to have a transition of power. We're not going to draw a sword, Peter. We're not going to drop a shed of blood. 
Oh, I would that somebody would get on board with me here today. I came here to preach. This is incredible when you look at this passage of Scripture. Listen to what he says. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Children were not allowed to be used of God. You couldn't even be in the military until you were 20 years of age, and you were not eligible for the priesthood until you were 25. And that was only from 25 to 50. Daughters, young ladies, were eligible for marriage as early as 14 years of age. Like Mary, the mother of Jesus, was only 14 years old. They grew up doing domestic affairs in the house. Their sons ran around with wooden swords and just had little sword fights and followed in the occupational steps of their father. But we're talking about a peaceful transition of power. The only man that was allowed to experience the presence and the glory of God and the Shekinah of God was the high priest that went into the Holy of Holies once a year. There's all kinds of Jewish lore about this and, and old wives' uh, tales and fables that there was a rope tied around the ankle of the priest that in the event that God killed him because he didn't accept the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement that they could pull him out. Nobody had to uh, risk their own life going in to get him. That's, that's not what the Bible talks about. However, when the high priest went in and he took the blood and sprinkled it on the mercy seat, the Shekinah, because the Spirit always follows blood, and the Shekinah would come in, the glory would come in, and the high priest, they could hear the tinkling of the bells around the fringe of his high priest garment, and they heard him dancing, they heard him worshiping, but he was the only human being that could ever feel the power of God. But on the day of Pentecost, God said, I'm getting ready to have a transition of power. I want some young people to be full of my power. I want some young people to talk in tongues. I want some young people to dance in my presence. I want some young people to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Somebody shout and give God the praise. Come on, young people, give God some praise. God's taking this away from the priesthood and God's putting it in young people. It is a peaceful transition of power. That's right. He continues on. He said, your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Both of those were prophetical. They were supernatural visionistic gifts. One was dreaming and one was seeing a vision. I do not believe that they were in contradiction. I do not believe that they were in contrast. So the very first perimeter that God broke through was the, was the youth barrier where it said that a young man could not get a war till he was 20 and we know this because of the day of the atonement he was have to have a offering that was prepared to give and a woman was not eligible until marriage until her teenage year and 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 she was never going to feel the holy ghost a woman in in, in judaism never in fact sarah never even heard from god until she heard the voice of the angel outside the tent it was abraham that got direction it was abraham that had a covenant it was abraham that heard the voice of god it was abraham that walked with God. But God said, I'm getting ready to change all that. I'm taking away from the old folks and I'm putting it in some young people. 
And now it's not just going to be Elijah, and it's not going to be Elijah, but I'm going to allow the old men to dream dreams, and I'm going to allow some young men to see some visions. We're going to see the exact same thing. We're going to see the exact same goal. We're going to see the exact same power. We're going to possess the exact same thing. Somebody clap your hands and give God the praise. The very first transition was on gender, and it took place among the youth. The second one was generational. You could have two people in the same family. You could have a papa and a son. Both of them be filled with the Holy Ghost, and both of them have the exact same, the same impression, one given in a dream and one given in a vision. Oh, I love this. This is God's transition. And upon my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. The word prophesy means a supernatural utterance. It doesn't necessarily have to include the book of Revelation. Yes, that is prophecy for say, and that it was a fulfillment of what's in the Old Testament. But prophecy is to describe a supernatural occasion, either a word or describe what God is doing at that given moment or what God is going to do. Slaves. Slaves. Either voluntary, and it was customary. Indentured servants gave themselves voluntary. Even parents gave their, their children to be indentured servants where they would pay off a bill. But this word means more than that. It doesn't mean just voluntary. It's talking about people that are slaves, people that are the lowest dregs of society. God said, you know what? I don't care if they're making five bucks an hour or $5,000 a week. I'm pouring my Holy Ghost out. I'm pouring it on whether you're black, whether you're brown, whether you're yellow, whether you're red, whether you're white, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you live in the slums or live on a hill. I'm going to pour it out on all flesh. It's a transition of power. Clap your hands and give God the praise. You're listening. Your pastor used to be a slave. I used to be a slave to passions, sins, uncleanness, filthiness. But God called me out of darkness into his marvelous light that I would show forth the praises of him. Come on, somebody. The devil might want to remind me of who I was, but I'm going to remind him where he's going. I'm not going to hell. I'm not. This was an utter challenge and an overthrow of the prejudices that were alive and well among Judaism. You know, the high priests walk around with their hats and their dress. And they were, we're the only guys that can hear from God around here. I want to tell you what, I'll take one of these younger men that are involved with Bible quizzing and have him sit down with any pastor of any denomination, take your pick, and watch this young man tie him a knot. Because, honey, if you can't find Acts 2.38, you ain't got no business telling me who the great dragon of Revelation is. If you don't even know about baptism, you ain't got no business talking to me about you if you can't find infilling of the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues, living a godly, holy life. This transition of power blew away all of the prejudice. And that's God loves to do that. In fact, let's go to Acts chapter number four. Let's go to verse number five. Verse number five. Was it five or six? I'm sorry. Man, 
I'm getting older. I can't remember all these scriptures like I used to, but I sure love them all. The more, the more prejudice is in a culture, or the more, if, if, if some people, you can tell how some people are re- regenerated or not if they fall back on their physical limitations or societal prejudices. I don't want to hear of any saint of God in this church relying on some garbage coming out of the world that you're not getting a fair shake because of the color of your skin. You've been bought with blood. You're covered. That is a human weakness, and you're falling back on the spirit of this world. Instead of understanding, I'm God's child, and every place I step, the sole of my foot, it's going to be mine. Lift your voice. Lift your hands. Give God the praise. Give God the glory. I rebuke a spirit of prejudice that is not from the word of God, but is the spirit of this world. Let's look at this scripture. This is after, okay? Here's Peter and John on their way to prayer. He's passed by this guy hundreds of times because he was laid at the gate daily looking for some way to support himself. And so he's got that little tinkling cup. But this day, after the Holy Ghost has removed all of the prejudice, all of the judgmentalism, all of the excuses, all of the reasons, all of the reasons why I can't do this, all of the excuses why I can't become that. No more. It's all gone. Peter looks at this guy and says, I don't have any money to give you. You don't need any more government assistance. Honey, when God's going to heal your body, we don't need the government to give us nothing. It's kind of weak over here. If God is going to be the provider, this is a theocracy, but it's got to be from the inside out. I don't care what the doctor says. I've got a great physician. I don't care what the counselor says. I've got a wonderful counselor. I don't care what the world says. I've got a God that loves me for eternity. Somebody shout with a voice of triumph. Here's, here's some out-of-work, unemployed fishermen that are now doing the work of God. This guy that sat at the gate, I don't know, maybe he had one of these cardboard signs like these guys in our world. I saw a guy a while back that said, why lie? I need a beer. Well, I'm not going to lie. I ain't stopping. If you're starving to death, I might help you, but I'm not going to help you become, sustain your alcoholism. I'm not going to sustain your chemical dependency on fentanyl. Somebody out there help me. Y'all awake here today? I come, I came here, I come here loaded with, for bear here today. I'm not chasing a saint. I'm chasing a spirit off of some of you because you got to understand who you are. You are not just a little nobody, just on the backside of nowhere. You are a holy nation. You are a chosen generation. You are a peculiar people that you would show forth the praise. Let's just do that right now. Somebody lift your hands. Somebody lift your voice. Somebody give him praise. Somebody give him glory. Woo! I don't care what the president says. I don't care what the next president says. I don't care what Congress says. I'm not going to violate any man's laws. But I'm telling you, I serve a law that's higher than the White House. I serve a God that's greater than world government. I've got a power in me that's greater than food stamps. A peaceful transition of power. God heals a man that the high priest saw, the priesthood saw him, scribe saw him, Pharisee saw him, Sadducee saw him. Everybody in Judaism that passed that way saw a whole line of people that were crippled. People that were halt, much like the pool of Bethesda, was a place that was totally given over, was a repository. 
And here they're begging for alms, people going in to talk to God. It's a perfect time to ask for an offering so that they could just feed themselves for another day or week or wherever the situation might be. This day, he comes in contact with an apostolic, fresh off of Pentecost. The guy leaps up and for the first time in his life runs into a temple. Some of you guys that are visiting with us, if God touches you and you want to run the aisles, you just go right ahead. I might just run with you. I don't want anybody coming to this church thinking, you know, I don't have a suit and a tie. Therefore, I can't worship God. As long as your body is modestly covered, you can worship God. The only reason why I'm wearing a suit is because I believe in giving my very best when I come to the house of God. If you would have seen me when I came to God, there was no suit. There was no tie. There was no shoes. There was no socks. Honey, I'm who I am because of the promises of God. I'm doing what I'm doing because of the prophecy of God. I'm worshiping God in spirit and truth because of the promises of God. Somebody shout. The guy is running and leaping in the temple. And the priests are like, who does this guy think he is? We got rules. You know that guy? No, but he looks awful familiar. Hey, 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 hey. Who are you? I'm the guy that sat outside the temple. I wasn't allowed to come in here because I was crippled. This is my first time ever coming in here. What God has done, I just had to come in and magnify him and give him praise and glory. Let's go to our scripture. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers, elders, and scribes, okay, everybody do this. Come on, look down your religious nose right now. That's exactly what they were doing. What do you think you're doing? And Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. All right. This is completely out of order. (laughs) And when they had set him in the midst, hey, stop running. By what power? A peaceful transition of power. Cornerstone, don't ever get so stuffy because we're in this beautiful building that somebody can't roll on this floor. Don't ever get so stuffy that you don't speak in tongues as a spirit. Get, oh, no, we got visitors. Honey, I want visitors to see what a move of God looks like. I want our visitors to go against the Hollywood paradigm. They might be ashamed, but I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power. It is the power. It is the power. Somebody stand to your feet and lift your voice in the face of every lying devil and clap your hands and give him praise. You see that devil? You hear that devil? We're not gonna be quiet. We're not gonna act like we're sleeping. We're not gonna, I came to celebrate. I came to glorify and clarify and magnify. Woo! All right, God bless you. You may be seated. Flowing robes, big studded diadem, big, huge, encrusted miter with golds, gold and jewels. A whole group of them 
cross-examining one guy that just experienced the miraculous and is worshiping God. You gotta love this. But this is what prejudice does. This is what human system does. This is where our world is. Stop! By what power or by what name have you done this? <clears throat> I'm glad you asked. I've been looking for an opportunity to talk to you. But I'm out there starving to death with a tinkling cup. But right out here, I'm up here in your cage. I'm now in your crib. I'm now in the temple. I'm now running the aisles and, and, and have experienced his power. Let's go to the next verse. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, <coughs> Me, 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 me. <coughs> Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel. Next verse. <laughs> if we this day be examined of the good deed done to this impotent man by the whole means that he is whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, 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 you can take your robes and you can take your diadem and you can take your garb and you can take your prejudice and you can take your power. Wow, I feel revival coming. Revival's coming to Gospel Union Mission. Revival's coming to downtown. Revival's coming to the valley. Revival's coming everywhere. That by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. What? That doesn't fit our theological paradigm. That doesn't fit our dust-covered, voluminous book collection. Peter continued, This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. He's, he is, he's repeating a prophecy in the Old Testament. Neither is there salvation in any other. Neither is there salvation in any other. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I'm sorry, I'm feeling like a new convert. You're just gonna have to forgive me. I'm free and I know I'm free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is, there is, there is. Send it up. Send it up. Send it up. You ain't putting that denominational stuff on me. A peaceful transition of power. God said, the power that I'm pouring out can operate under the restrictiveness of human effort. I want to tell you something. You're visiting with us here today. It is the absolute will of God that you receive the power of the Holy Ghost. It is the will of God that every single human being on the face of this planet receive the power of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to say that again. It is the will of God that every human being receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues. That is the reason why the lights are on. That is the reason why we're here today. We are not here to go through some kind of exercise. We are here today that we are reaching out to a world that has never felt his power and his glory. And so, God completely upended Roman rule 
to the degree, to the degree that in the first hundred years that the apostolic church was in full operation, the entire Roman government, after hundreds of years of proclaiming and professing to be pagan, in 381 A.D., almost 50 years after the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, the Roman Empire became Christian. A peaceful transition of power. They didn't fight them. They didn't take up arms against Roman rule. Put your sword up, Peter. I'm going to go ahead and do a miracle. I'm going to fix your mistake, but don't ever do it again. We don't need swords. We don't need shields. We don't need lobbyists in Washington, D.C. We just need to let our God be our God because you and I are peculiar people, a holy nation. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Ghost was poured out, there were 3,000 that were baptized. If you have not been baptized in Jesus' name, you need to do it today. Don't put it off. Don't. Most people use their exclusive right because we are Americans with the freedom of choice. We exercise that freedom even when it's dangerous to do so. Don't put it off. Experience your freedom and the joy and the power and the ecstasy right here and right now. Let's lift our hands and just pray for a minute. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. I love you, Jesus. Once an individual receives this power, the more that we learn about him and learn through the word what we have and what this is really all about, there is supposed to be a peaceful transaction within the life of an individual. See, what happens is, is that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Ghost. Once you are filled with the love of God and, and you, you, you really, you've really given yourself to it enough that you have the comprehension that I have the love of God in me. I know I'm not perfect, but I know what's in me. There begins a process of yielding things that are in you to become more like him. And so this transition, see, there are some people that are sitting here with sin in your life here today. And it's become habitual. And the reason why it's habitual is because you've, you've made that an idol. And now you go to that to find peace and to find a shot of dopamine and momentary pleasure. 
rather than wrestling yourself down and working through this. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm in the Holy Ghost right now. God sent me to this place here today to talk about this. But see, when you're full of the love of God, and you're at that bargaining table in prayer with the love of God. When you say, God, I can't do this on my own. And God begins to extract it out of your life. God puts more love in its place. And then God puts more grace in its place. And God puts more mercy. And day by day and prayer by prayer and year by year, you get more unction. And you get more character. And you get more power. But God is not going to chase you. God is not going to wrestle you. God is not going to wrestle your will down. God is not going to put pain on you. It's got to be a peaceful transition of power. I can remember God dealing with things in my life. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm not super spiritual. I'm not super anything. But I'm telling you, I am, I am addicted to the love of God. I am addicted. I've got to have it. I can't live without it. When I get into that place, when God's love engulfs me, God, you want this? You can have, you can have this. You can have that. You don't like this? I'll take that. You can have that. See, some of you are filled with stuff that you think you need, and God's saying, if you would just trust me, if you would just believe me, if you would just have enough patience to give me an opportunity to see what happens so that this transition, it's not going to cause you pain. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to force you to do this. I'm not going to make you do anything. But don't be upset and mock people that have experienced that transition, that are totally operating by trading away sin and disobedience, and self-will, and receiving more of him. Lift your hands and give him praise. A transition that's so peaceful, that can be easily entreated, easily negotiated. God is not looking to shame you like the devil. He's not looking to make you guilty like the devil. He's not here to make you feel worthless like a devil. He's here to help you see who you are. I wonder, I wonder how many people are backslidden today that are walking around. And it was simply, ladies and gentlemen, just bear with me in my folly. Look beyond the excuse. Because the real reason is really not the excuse. The excuse is usually well-worn, like a smooth rock in their pocket that everybody will you can ditch everybody on that. But the real reason was the transition required too much. It always seems like it's too much when you're in the flesh. God does not require you to make that just sitting there in the flesh without any type of coaching and any loving and any, any type of God embracing and God wooing you. The peaceful transition of real power. Let's stand. Asking the musicians to come. Let's lift our hands and let's give God the praise. You can lift your voice. Let's love him. Let's praise him. It's not that God is a million miles from you. It's that we've convinced him. We, did, we misunderstood the rules. We misunderstood the bargain. We misunderstood the fine print. God will give you power for all of your sin, all of your wounds, all of your orientations. Well, Pastor, you just don't understand. I got this weird orientation because this happened to me when I was a kid, and that happened when I was a kid. God was there that he might use it in the 21st century to show off his power and show off his glory and show off his grace to an entire world. A peaceful transition of power.
God is patient. God is patient. God is so patient. There are some folks under the sound of my voice that the Holy Ghost has been talking to you for most of this service today. You're in the right pace at the right time with the right congregation, the right invitation. Let's lift our hands and love him. For boredom, God will give you revelation. For lust, God will give you holiness. For woundedness, he'll give you wholeness. For grief, he'll give you joy. This altar's open. Come. Let's make our way to this altar from all over this sanctuary. And let it be a peaceful transition. Bitterness, he'll give you laughter. For resentment, he'll give you hope, peace, clarity, cleanness. Come on, Cornerstone. Let it be a peaceful transition of power. The Spirit was there at your birth. The Spirit was there at your graduation. The Spirit was there on wedding day. And that Spirit is here today. His message for you has never changed.